Uh, we are carrying on in our series in uh, 1 John, and uh, I'd like to kind of get straight into it. So we're reading from the beginning of uh, chapter 4, and I am going to be reading from the ESV. But uh, please, you know, follow along uh, in your own Bible or Bible app uh, if you can. So like I said, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. And it goes like this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Okay, let's, let's just pray before I try to unpack this for us this morning. So, Father, we just want to uh, glorify you this morning as we meet together in your name and, and as we gather together to hear you speak forth uh, your word. Lord, I know that, that, that I'm the one speaking today, but I, I trust that as you promise, that, I, that as I speak, the Holy Spirit would also be speaking through my words, helping us to understand what you want us to understand in this, this text. We, we thank you that you are a living God that still speaks when your word is open and you speak to encourage us, to build us up, to grow us, to change us, to challenge us, and to give us fresh life. And uh, we just want to acknowledge that this morning and, and kind of proclaim that in faith again, and that that is what indeed happens when we encounter your word. So we want to invite you into this place now, Lord, in the person of your Holy Spirit to help us as we do this together in Jesus' name. Uh, when you read the Bible, what's you will find, and I think this is more and more the case, is that the way that the Bible kind of sees and understands the world is not really aligned that much with the way the culture around us tends to see the world. And then you come to passages like the one before us today, where a nearly kind of unbelievable amount of content gets kind of crammed into just a, kind of a few verses that really kind of push against the way the world tends to see reality. So just uh, let, me, let me kind of list for you some of the key ideas I see here and how many of these ideas are shared by those around us today who don't share our faith. Okay, number one, there's an unseen spiritual world around us that is just as real as the visible material world. Number two, every truth claim is essentially black and white, and behind every truth claim stands a good or evil spiritual reality. Number three, Jesus is a person who is 100% divine and at the same time 100% human. Number four, we need, we need to make judgments about the things that we hear. And number five, the Bible is the final perfect authoritative 
arbiter of truth. <laughs> no, no, that, that, that's a fairly kind of overwhelming list, but I'm sure most of you would agree that these are not exactly um, aspects of reality that are fully endorsed and believed uh, in by the people around us nowadays. And, and, and I'm guessing, you know, if certain people get hold of this message, I'll probably get uh, canceled straight away. We're not recording this, are we? <laughs> but seriously, I think this, this list that I've just outlined for us demonstrates very clearly how foreign the view of the Bible is to, the, to, to, to most of the culture that we find ourselves in today. Okay, so here's how I'd like to break down this passage for us this morning. So I'd just like to kind of explain the passage under three headings, which is the prevalence of spiritual reality and the dualism of spiritual reality, and then finally the discernment of that spiritual reality, and then finally I just want to uh, then wrap up with some kind of points of application. What does this then mean for our lives? How can we put this into practice? So the prevalence of, of spiritual reality John makes it really clear here that there is such a thing as the spiritual world. There are spiritual beings who are all around us. And he kind of hammers this home by the language that he uses. He, he talks about don't believe every spirit, uh, test the spirits. And then he even talks about the fact that spirits are confessing things. Now, how does this work? Because I think we have to kind of say that these actions describe uh, the, the actions that we would expect uh, intelligent beings or persons to, to have. And I, th I think many of us probably have kind of the wrong idea here a little bit. And I, and I think this is maybe influenced by movies that we've watched uh, where, where we kind of tend to think that if we are influenced by a spirit, particularly a bad spirit, uh, something weird is going to happen to us. We're going to end up talking in some funny voice or foaming at the mouth or Definitely, at the very least, we're going to have some kind of deep mystical experience. You know, think something like the exorcist. But no, it's clear that what John is saying here is that when ordinary people speak words and when they make truth claims, these words are being animated by and empowered by spiritual kind of reality behind them. And this is something that the Bible seems to hammer home again and again. And, and, and I really feel that it's something that we need to uh, be more aware of this needs to be something that becomes more front of mind for us. And I do acknowledge that this is, there's a kind of uphill battle here for us. And the reason I say that is that really for kind of the first time in human history over the last 100 to 150 years or so, what we've seen is the rise of this philosophy of materialism. And it really is unique in human history. And what materialism ends up saying is that at the end of the day, matter is all there is, or, or, or perhaps stating it slightly differently, is that there is a material cause underlying everything that we see and experience. And so, for example, what you might hear said is that we can explain our emotions at the end of the day just by the fact that we've got chemical reactions going on in our body. And even spiritual experience ends up being explained, or you might want to say explained away, by this theory that, you know, tapping into the, the, the probability of there being a higher being has been something that, that, that has helped give purpose to our lives and then has helped us kind of attain some kind of survival advantage, okay? And so, you know, everything then is, is reduced to physical 
or material causes. And, and, and I'm wanting to kind of acknowledge that that's almost the assumption around us nowadays is that that's the, that's the most accurate way to, to describe reality. But John wants us to see here, and he's really highlighting for us in this text today, is that that view of the world is completely wrong. And it's actually inconsistent with reality. And he wants to remind us that God himself is a spirit. And while, of course, he has created a physical, material world, at the same time, he stands behind the creation of a, of a spiritual world that is existent at the very same time. And the sooner that we wake up to that reality and acknowledge that and seek to understand that, the better. Spiritual reality is a thing that we need to be aware of. It doesn't require spooky, weird things to be going on for us to acknowledge it. No, it's there the whole time when ordinary people speak. And so that's why he starts exhorting us to test these spirits. So let's move on now to the dualism of spiritual reality. So I think John really helps us also see uh, in, a, in a really clear way that the spiritual forces that are standing behind these truth claims are really kind of, there's a the black and white dualism going on here. So either the Holy Spirit is the spiritual reality that's empowering what people say, or an evil spirit. And there's really, in, in this text at least, he kind of leaves nothing in between. And I know that's probably going to sit a little bit awkwardly for many of us, and maybe it even offends uh, some of us, because we live in a time when Probably one of the only accepted articles of faith that's, that, 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 that we're permitted to have is this notion that there is no such thing as absolute truth and that I have a valid claim to my truth and don't come and you know, tell me that I don't. Or another way of putting it would be the only absolute truth is that I am entitled to my truth, right? And so... I think, I think what we see in this text here is that the Apostle John actually describes a very different kind of world here. It's either the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Antichrist, which is quite a scary way of describing it, isn't it? Animating what people say. Every spirit who does not confess Jesus, John says, is not from God and is rather an evil spirit. And uh, Jesus said something very kind of dualistic and similar as well in the Gospels when he said, whoever is not with me is against me. There's no kind of sitting on the fence, neutral territory in the middle. And so I think we have to kind of conclude and say something as, as strong as this is that all you really need to be demonic in a sense is to ignore or downplay or distort Jesus and who he is and how central he is to reality. And in my observation, this is not how people tend to think about these things. I'm sure most of us, or probably all of us, have heard people essentially say at some point that I'm not with Jesus, but I'm also not against Jesus. And this comes out in various ways. You know, so who's heard anything like this? I don't think Jesus was God, but I think he was a great teacher. I, I like Jesus, but I don't like his church. We've all heard that, right? Well, I don't believe that Jesus had to die on the cross to forgive me of my sins. And besides, like what kind of father would, it, would let that happen to their child? It's cosmic child abuse. What about people who claim to be spiritual but not religious? That's pretty popular, right? I'm spiritual but not religious. And no one stops and asks, but you know, what, what stands behind the spiritual reality that you say that you are 
pursuing? What are the spirits behind the spiritual reality? Friends, there's no neutral spiritual world out there. That's what John is pushing us into the corner of, of believing. Every religion is not an equally valid way to God. Every pop psychologist is not neutral in what they teach. Therapeutic self-help, which is so popular nowadays as well, is not neutral. Eastern spirituality, also massively on the rise. It's not neutral. Even yoga in its pure form is not neutral. Send your emails. (laughs) Even supernatural gifts, friends, can be faked, right? Remember Pharaoh's magicians at the beginning of, of the book of Exodus? And this is why John is pushing us to say, you need to test what you hear. The Apostle Paul says something very similar in in 1 Thessalonians when he says, test everything, everything, and hold fast to what's good. Test everything so that you can kind of discern what is good and then hold fast to that, build your life around that. It's 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 21. And friends, you know, I think something we really need to log here as well is that this can happen both inside the church and outside the church. And we see it here in, in, in this text. He talks about the fact that false teachers were in the church, and now they've kind of gone out into the world. And so let's just double-click on this reality that this can and does happen inside the church. And I guess, you know, it comes in, in many guises. So, you know, the, the, the one perhaps obvious guise is, you know, the liberal church that kind of explicitly puts it out there that, you know, they, they, they reject certain parts of the Bible. It's just, you know, they, they recognize that they're super unpalatable to modern sensibilities. And so they, they kind of come out there saying that they don't believe that the miracles of Jesus happened as they happened, or they, or they have an issue with the violence in the, in the Old Testament, whatever it might be. And, and, and you kind of get the sense that, you know, out of this desire to be liked and accepted by the surrounding culture, you know, there's a certain part of the Christian church, I mean, that I would argue is, you know, may, maybe we shouldn't even call it the Christian church, that is, is prepared to just kind of chuck that stuff out. And I think John is pushing us to kind of say the spirit of Antichrist is actually at work in those kind of contexts. Just another example of where we see this, um, this kind of dynamic playing out in, in the church, and this is a bit tougher and more subtle to kind of, uh, you know, recognize and, and, and weed out is, is maybe a church that's far more, you know, it seems to be a traditional church that has orthodox, you know, clear beliefs. But then in practice, what they do, well, when it comes to their teaching and their preaching, for example, is that they deliberately stay away from certain topics that are controversial and difficult, you know, so maybe, maybe they'll stay away from ever teaching on the exclusivity of Jesus as the only way to God, or perhaps on the Bible's view of sexual ethics, or um, perhaps on the sovereignty of God over evil and suffering, and then, you know, so I say that's actually, a, maybe that's even worse because you're claiming to be one thing, but then in practice you are not fully coming under the authority of the full counsel of, of God, and John is again wanting to say, you know, that there's more the spirit of Antichrist that's, that's animating that kind of attitude to God's truth than there is the Holy Spirit. And so, how do we actually then end up telling? How do we end up discerning between, you know, the reality behind what people are saying and, and, and claiming? Because, you know, I think all of us should be kind of going, okay, well, 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 this sounds quite serious. I need some tools in my hand to be able to discern. Okay, so that's Let's just think about the discernment of spiritual reality. 
And before I kind of get into some of the tools that John gives us here, let's just take a quick detour because, again, I want to recognize that this is, this is very tough for us living in 2020 because another word for discernment is judgment, right? Ooh, judgment. Very bad word, right? Forbidden words. John is essentially saying to us here that we are required and expected to judge whether something is true or false, whether something is good or bad, whether something is right or wrong. And this is totally inappropriate today because to make judgments is, is to risk coming across as judgmental. And again, you know, you'll, you'll get canceled in a heartbeat if you come across as judgmental, which is kind of ironic if you think about it. You will be judged in the harshest possible way if you come across as being judgmental. But, friends, God is a God of truth, and everything that he says is true. And, of course, God expects us to take our cue from his truth and then to use another phrase that John uses in his gospel, judge with right judgment. That is the calling on each of us, to judge with right judgment, to learn what is good and bad from him, and then to use that filter and that grid and that lens to then look at everything that comes our way and to be able to judge to, to make correct judgments. You know, there, there's, there's a word that's become almost universally negative nowadays, and that's the word discrimination, right? And I don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. There is such a thing as unfair, bad discrimination. But there's also a positive accent, uh, aspect to the word discrimination. Discrimination means looking at something and then choosing between what's good and bad, what's right and wrong. And that's, that's kind of what John is pushing us to here. But then also, okay, we're still on this little detour before I get to some of the pointers that John gives us on, on how to discern. I think the other reason that this is actually really challenging for, for us today, and, and I guess many people are talking about this at the moment, is that more and more we, we struggle to focus our attention and to think logically and critically and you know, build a kind of argument on why something is right or wrong. Why? Information overloads, distracting devices, and, you know, we're more and more kind of being trained into never giving anything more than a minute or two of focus at a time. <laughs> I was just thinking about, you know, if anyone's got an iPhone, you, you, you have that, that's, uh, I think Android has this as well. You've got that screen time kind of functionality, and I don't know if any of you have ever, like, paid much attention to that. It even, you know, tells you how many times you pick up your phone, how many hours you're spending on your phone every day, and I think the reality is for most of us, it's way, way, way worse than we ever would have guessed it is if we're, you know, asked to just kind of, you know, give, a, give an approximation in our head. So, so that's kind of what we're up against as well. And then I think the final thing, if you layer on top of that, is that so much stuff in our culture today is just assumed to be true, even though it's completely out of line with what the Bible teaches about reality. So I just want to kind of come out the gate here before we talk about how, how do we discern and just recognize that this is a really tough challenge in the culture that we find ourselves in at the moment. So what are the discernment tests that's, that John gives us? I, th I mean, they, they really are quite simple, but profound. So firstly, what is the person who's making this truth claim saying about the Lord Jesus Christ? It's basically, if there's a denial of the incarnation, it's the spirit of Antichrist 
at work? Does the voice that's speaking confess that Jesus has come in the flesh? That, that is the second person of the Trinity, the, the divine second person of the Trinity who is fully God, that, that that person has come and taken on flesh and come to earth as a human being, fully God and fully man. It's a pretty laser-focused test. Okay, and we'll talk about that a little bit more just now because I think the reality is that this has been distorted throughout history. Um, and so it's you know, really worth heeding the, the, the test and, and to get kind of laser-focused ourselves as well. The second test that he gives us is, is a broader one. Um, and the broader test is, is the truth claim in broad accord with the teaching of the Bible as a whole? So that's what John is on about when he says in verse 6, we are from God. He's talking about we as the apostles are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. And so what John is building on here is, is this promise that Jesus gave. Jesus, before he ascended to, to heaven, essentially said, and, and, and John explains about this in his gospel as well, is that Jesus promised that he would bring to mind, through the power of the Holy Spirit, everything vital and important about everything that he taught and who he was, and he would enable the apostles to record that, and that's how we got our New Testament. And so John is reminding his hearers then and now of this reality. You need to listen to the apostolic witness. You need to come under the authority of the Bible. And if you are doing that with you know, submission and a, and, a, and a great attitude and you're excited about that, then you can be confident that it's the Holy Spirit that's, you know, that's launching you in that direction. But if you are instead wanting to stand over the Bible and kind of you know, pick and choose, you know, I like that, but I don't like that, and treat it as a bit of an a la carte, you know, smorgasbord, and you know, I'm going to basically you know, pick all the stuff that's, that resonates with me and is palatable to me. I think John is, is trying to say, you know, beware that's, that you know, you've probably actually got the spirit of the Antichrist has come into your decision-making. Yeah, and so if I was to summarize the test, the two tests, there's a kind of broad test and a narrow test that John gives us. The broader test is, is what this person is saying in alignment with the broad teachings of the Bible? And in particular, the laser focus test is, are these teachings in alignment with the center of the Bible? And the center of the Bible is who is Jesus? The person and the nature and the work of Jesus. But so let me just double click a little bit on the, on the nature of Jesus. Because I think those of us who know even just a tiny bit about church history and, and perhaps as we look around the world today, we'll, we'll know that most of the heresies and the cults that have arisen over the, the millennia really have distorted exactly this very thing right up to the present time. Either there's been a distortion and a minimizing of Jesus' divinity, or on the other hand, a distorting and a minimizing of his humanity. And you kind of understand why people try to kind of go in that direction. Sometimes there's, there, there's a good motive behind it because you, you know, there's so much mystery wrapped up in this, this concept and people are trying to kind of protect the, the fact that God has revealed himself as one God and then they think by minimizing Jesus' divinity, for example, that kind of protects that. But uh, it, it then obviously goes very much against the, the clear witness of, of the Bible itself. And so, you know, I'd want to say that, you know, all of these things, whether it's atheism or Islam 
or Jehovah's Witnesses, or Mormons, or uh, Jews, or the History Channel. <laughs> they all tend to get this precise thing wrong. They tend to distort this very thing about the nature of, of Jesus. And friends, this is why in the early centuries of the church, uh, w- w- what they tended to do is they, they, they call these, these councils, and they pretty much you know, call church leaders from all over the known world at the time to come and, you know, debate and discuss, often for actually years at a time, um, and come to a, a very precise formulation called the, called the creed of what Christians need to believe, you know, like the, the center of the center, the stuff that's absolutely non-negotiable. And uh, perhaps, you know, one of the, the most well-known creeds that uh, was, was ever formulated was the Nicene Creed, and I think many of you will be familiar with these words, but let me just read uh, to you quickly so you can just see how much, uh, so I've got kind of maybe just just over half of the Nicene Creed here in front of me, but you can just see how much time and attention is given to getting this precisely right, the, the person of Jesus. Okay, I'm sure these words will be familiar for many of you. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and, vis- and invisible. Okay, so the bits on the Father. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, the same essence as the Father, through Him all things are made. And you just hear the resting there to just get this precise, perfect language, honoring both the divinity and the humanity of Jesus at the same time. And, and you know, I think it's just worth kind of being so grateful that there were people who were prepared to go through the agonizing process, you know, often actually at risk of their lives to get that kind of formulation just right. Because they're essentially taking seriously what John was saying here in 1 John about, you know, delineating between the spirit of Antichrist and the, and the Holy Spirit and, and, and recognizing that it was so critical to get the nature of Jesus right if they wanted to be on the side of God. And so, If someone is making truth claims to you, can you find out what they actually believe about Jesus? To them, is he merely a good teacher? Is he not fully human? Is he not fully divine? Did he just appear to die on a cross? Was that kind of some kind of mysterious illusion? Was he some kind of misguided politician who died tragically after his mission was not fulfilled? Maybe in a more sinister way, was he the child of a sexual union between God and Mary? All of these things are distortions that are taught, to, taught by various different people. And I'm sure many of these statements are familiar to, to, to you. So there, there we go. We've got a, a, a super clear um, set of tests that we can use when, when we are seeking to discern spiritual reality. Okay, but so, so you know, how do we actually use this stuff in our lives? What difference does it make to our lives? How can we put this into practice? So, a few points of application. Number one, we need to take truth seriously. And we kind of need to also work hard at, at getting, getting good at this. So, do you think that it should be easy to discern, you know, on every point of detail between truth and, and, and error? I mean, I don't, I don't see any reason to think that that would be the case as I read through the, the Bible. Let me give you a few reasons why I say that. So firstly, we are seen again and again in the Bible as being in the midst of this intense, in the heat of this intense kind of spiritual battle. 
So Paul, for example, in Ephesians 6 talks about that we are wrestling against, I mean, and listen to all these different terms he uses for kind of what John's talking about here, against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And, and then he exhausts us to put on the armor of God to kind of fight that battle. But there's this kind of notion that there's this whole, you know, supernatural spiritual army of dark forces that are arrayed against you, seeking to destroy your life, seeking to disciple you into error, seeking to pull you away from Jesus. And so we need to take that seriously. Another reason that I would say we need to take this seriously is that the pursuit of truth is described in the Bible as requiring serious efforts. So, for example, in 2 Timothy 2, uh, Paul says, do your best, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, rightly handing the word of truth. In other words, there's effort involved. This doesn't, you don't just drift into this. Um, I was reading uh, John Piper's blog the other day, and he's got this Ask Pastor John thing where, you know, people kind of write in and ask him a question, and then he tries to answer the question. Um, it's always, you know, very insightful. And this person kind of wrote in saying, and I'm sure this will probably resonate with many of us, they're saying, you know, I find like I read the Bible, but then I don't remember anything that I read. You know, should I be worried, or what should I do about it? And, and he responded graciously but firmly, saying, well, well, you know, how seriously are you actually taking this? You know, most of us, if we were to have to write an exam, we would recognize that you can't just read through the material once and kind of expect to remember it, you know, and, and be able to apply it then in the exam. You're going to, you know, discipline yourself, probably writing out notes and summarizing back and using flashcards and whatever it might be. And, and the point John Piper then made is, you know, th this, this, is a, this is a far, this is a, something with far greater stakes than, in, you know, a silly exam ever would be. What are you doing to take this seriously? Maybe one other thing I'd like to mention is, to take truth seriously is, are, are we even remotely aware of how gracious God has been to us in this current day and age when, where we have unbelievable resources at our disposal? Um, gifted teachers have done the heavy lifting for us of kind of, you know, summarizing theology for us. You know, you know so like, for example, if you take a book uh, that's called a systematic theology, what a systematic theology does is it tries to organize you know, all the key themes of the Bible. What does the Bible say about God? What does the Bible say about man and sin and redemption and, you know, the eternal states, et cetera, et cetera, and organizes that. You know, we'll spend 50 or 100 pages or something on each of those topics explaining in detail what the Bible teaches. And, you know, I just encourage you, if you've never read a book like that, how are you going to be able to obey this command? How are you going to be able to discern between truth and error? Now, I'm not saying, you know, obviously still prioritize your Bible, but these helps, I believe God has also given to us graciously to help us then, you know, organize the thoughts of the Bible in a, in a, in a clear and consistent way. And, I mean, I think we also, I know, I know big books can be expensive, but nothing like they used to be. You know, when books first were invented, you know, only really wealthy people would be able to afford a book. You know, maybe a few books in your home because it would cost the equivalent of a normal person's salary for three months or something like that. So just a quick exhortation, you know, like if, if that's not a habit of yours yet, 
um, I, I can only encourage you uh, as, as, as lovingly and as firmly as possible, you know, maybe you need to think about adding some of that to your, your diets. And I think, you know, the final point I want to make here about why we need to take truth seriously is that Jesus talks about false teachers being wolves in sheep's clothing, right? So they look exactly like true teachers. It's very hard to discern. And do, are we going to love people enough to recognize that false teaching, pe- people who teach something that minimizes the gospel and distorts the person of Jesus, that, that harms people. And in some cases, it can harm people eternally. Right? Okay, we need to take truth seriously. Okay, the, the, the rest of my application points are, are, are going to be quick. Okay, number two, keep your elders honest. Keep your elders honest. So I just want to come out here and say today that we as elders and those who, you know, particularly those who preach uh, on on Sundays would strongly encourage and maybe even mandate you to to give us feedback on on what we teach. You know, we're fallible human beings. And sometimes we're going to get things a little bit wrong or perhaps we'll state things in a slightly unhelpful way. And... Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not calling for people to be nitpickers or, you know, to, to think that every tiny little minor point of doctrine is a, is a kill to die on. But what I am exhorting you, my friends, to do this morning is to be like the Bereans in Acts 17. And it says about them that after they heard Paul preach, they went and searched the Scriptures afterwards to see whether what he had said was actually true. I still vividly remember the... the the, the previous church that I was, I was part of, the very first Sunday I went there, so, so I'd, I'd kind of discovered that the, the church I was in was maybe drifting a little bit away from the Bible, you know, maybe getting some of those liberal tendencies that I was, I was talking about earlier. And um, I still remember showing up there the very first Sunday I got there, and PJ Smythe, who some of you guys will know, was preaching through the book of Galatians. <laughs> and... Um, he got to the place where, where Paul opposed Peter to his face because Peter, you know, was, was kind of acting in a hypocritical and, and even a kind of racist way in who he was choosing to kind of socialize with and eat with. And Paul opposed Peter to his face saying, you are not living in line with the gospel. And I remember you know, PJ started just hammering the music stand saying, I mandate you, God First Church, this morning that if ever anyone in this pulpit starts teaching anything that's out of line with the gospel, that you must come and confront us, even in the meeting itself. And I just remember feeling like I've died and gone to heaven, if you know me at all. It's like I've arrived at the, at the church of my dreams right now. But I just want to echo what PJ was saying to us as a church that morning. Like, this is a kind of collective group effort, right? Test the spirits, John is saying. All of us, let's test the spirits together. And let's, let's, let's keep each other accountable for, for keeping the gospel and keeping the person of Jesus the main thing, the central thing. Okay, nearly there. Number three, check your media consumption. So I hope I've managed to convince you that there's no such thing as, as kind of neutrality in terms of truth and information hitting us. And I think most of us would admit that there's far more content kind of coming at us and hitting our, our minds and our hearts 
that ultimately we'd have to say is probably more influenced by spirit of Antichrist, by, by influences that do not believe what the Bible teaches, do not believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And now I'm not saying that you must stick your head in the sand and ignore what's, what's going on with culture. I think there's, there's a completely appropriate kind of stance that says we're going to take seriously, you know, understanding what people are watching and listening to and, you know, doing what we can to have, have friends with be friends with people who don't believe in Jesus and, you know, seeking to be in their lives and reach them and, and all of that stuff. I'm not saying uh, that we shouldn't do that. But what I am saying is that we need to recognize that all these other voices are trying to, to disciple us and to fit us into the mold of, of their way of thinking. Paul talks in Romans 12 about being beware not to be conformed to the pattern of the world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How? By, you know, ensuring that much more content is coming into your, into your head and your heart that is influenced by the Holy Spirit. And so I know this is kind of quite similar to my first point of application here, but I, I, I'm guessing for many of us, you know, maybe our, the, the main interaction that we have with the Bible is on, on a Sunday, half an hour, 45 minutes, Maybe we'll squeeze in a few devotions during the week, and then there's, you know, so maybe if we add that up, it's an hour or two, maybe three a week, and then there's, what is it, 20, 30 hours of Netflix and social media and news feeds and all of that just stuff just hitting us the whole time. And I just want to urge you again to recognize that those sources of information are not neutral, and they're pushing you and they're shaping you and they're, they're, they're pulling you into to thinking the way the world thinks. So watch your media intake. And then finally, I'd like to just uh, kind of wrap up with this. Final point of application is invite the Holy Spirit in. Invite the Holy Spirit in. So I think kind of implied in this morning's text is this invitation and this encouragement to lean more on the Holy Spirit, to freshly lean on Him. Whether it's for the first time, or whether you've done that already, but to freshly commit yourself to more of that. I think you can really make a strong case that the Holy Spirit, in, in, in a sense, is the like silver bullet of the Christian life. The Holy, you, with, without Him, you can do nothing. But with Him, you know, greater is He who's in you, that's the Holy Spirit, than He who's in the world. And I just love how, how Jesus kind of does a mixture of rebuking us but encouraging us at the same time. When He says, you know, you don't have because you don't ask. It's like a bit of a rebuke. It's like, what, what is wrong with you? You know, you're idiots. You don't ask. <laughs> my, my heavenly father has everything at his disposal. And then he gives this like mini little parable where he says, you know, even sinful earthly fathers know and kind of love giving good gifts to their children. Right? Parents, we, we, we know that feeling, right? It's, it, it brings great joy to give gifts to our children. And then he gives this kind of lesser to greater argument saying, how much more will your perfect, sinless, heavenly father who has every single resource at his disposal has ultimate wisdom, how much more will he give you the very best gift that he can possibly give you, which is, of course, the gift of himself and the person of the Holy Spirit? Did you get the mixture of the encouragement and the, and the rebuke? You don't ask enough. Your thoughts are too low. Your expectations of God are too low. But how much more will you just keep on pouring out more of the Spirit if you ask for Him in faith? 
I love how Paul puts it in Ephesians 5. He says, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, there's no limits. There's, you, you can't suddenly arrive and kind of go, okay, cool. There's no more, there's no more of God to, to, to ask for. I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, as, as soon as he states it like that, you realize it's, it's a completely ridiculous notion. And so wherever you are at in your journey with God, whether you have yet to ask the Holy Spirit into your life and to, 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 to lean on him, or whether you've done that already, to kind of point, come to a point of recognizing there's always more. I must, I must keep on leaning in to God and asking him for his very best gift. And he stands there with arms open wide just wanting to respond to your faith. So let's pray this morning. I want, I want to pray for us where, wherever we're at that um, yeah, we, we, we'd, we'd heed God's gracious invitation to press into him and, and to ask him for more of himself, essentially. So Father, we just want to acknowledge that you are God and we are your creatures. We want to, we want to just glorify you and thank you that you have seen fit both to create us and then to newly create us as, um, as you drew us to yourself, us sinful rebels, Lord. And in that, in that process that you gifted us with the Holy Spirit. But Father, we reminded again this morning that um, we are in the midst of a battle and we're in the midst of a world that's shouting at us from every corner about what is true and what should be followed, and how we should build our lives. And that's a scary proposition, Lord, because we know that, as John was helping us see here, there's no neutrality. And there's, there's so many forces out there that are trying to pull us away from you. But thank you so much for the encouragement, Lord, that you stand ready to just bless us with the very thing that we need to live godly lives, to live wise lives, to live lives of truth, to live lives that are in, co- in accord with your truth. And that is to just give us more of your spirits. I just pray that none of us would ever get to a place of settling, kind of getting apathetic, thinking that we've arrived, but that we'd have this, yeah, this, this kind of balanced posture of both kind of praising you, saying, thank you, God, so much for what you've already done in my life. Thank you for bringing me to this point in my life, while at the same time saying, but God, I want more of you. I really believe that that honors you, God. You are the, the, the ever-flowing fountain of goodness and mercy. You have every resource at your disposal, and it honors you for us to to think of you that way, and therefore never to stop asking you for more grace and more of your spirit. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters now here this morning. Lord, maybe there are people here this morning who for the first time are praying this kind of prayer. And I, I just pray that you'd meet them where they're at and that you'd, that you'd flood them with your love and that you'd open their eyes to who you are and that they would get a hunger for you that never... That, that never runs out. And for the rest of us, Lord, who have perhaps encountered you um, many times before, who have tasted your goodness, that you keep on stirring us to press into you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.